0: Pastor Kali, he was, uh, their church is a church that is just a year younger than we are. Uh, we replanted in 2018. Uh, they started in 2019, and then bam, COVID hit them, right? Uh, but uh, he was, uh, he's at a church where, where they, were, uh, they were preaching a message of grace, a message of, of grace and not legalism, and that's something that they're dealing with in that area of the world, and uh uh, you don't have to earn your salvation. You have to just know Jesus. And, and people were so mad that they, they tore their church down because they said, it's Jesus. It's building a life on Jesus and what he's done and why he went to the cross. And so he's been through it. And I was honored to learn from him and to uh, uh, be with him and, and study together the last couple of weeks. So. As you can tell, I had a great time, and I am forever changed because of this. And listen, this is why missions are so important, global missions. And, and I was telling them out, out there when I was teasing them about bringing me ginger ale after I'm done <laughs> preaching and a plate of fish, because that's what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, that's why made, we're, we're going on a mission trip as a church next summer to Croatia. All right, So a little easier than Liberia but we're going to go and we're going to work with some local churches that uh, are, are reaching out to their communities and to learn from them and to uh, help them as they serve. And so that's going to be a, a fun thing that you can be a part of next summer as well. Um, that's why they're so important. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we support uh, missionaries in Africa. and That's why we've supported missionaries in Panama. That's why we've supported missionaries now in uh, Croatia in that area of the world because you can learn from them. And they're doing amazing things, and they want to partner together. And the, the thing that, uh, at least for this trip in Liberia, that I kept coming back to over and over again was this tenacity uh, that they had for the Word of God, right, for for, for the Bible. You know, we know that in John it says that the Word was was Jesus, and Jesus is the Word, like he's the Logos, right? And so they know that this, this is a divine message. It's a message from the God that we forge our life on, and it's a message that we can hold to, and we can, we can study, and we can share, and it can, it can do things like preach a message of grace in a society that's all about legalism. And that's what they hold to. Even when, when people are, are breaking down their church, they can say, Jesus has grace for you, too, because he had grace for me, and he went to the cross, not just for me, but for all of mankind. You know, when you do not have access to the word of God, and you're in a relationship with God, when you're, you're on this adventure of forging your lifelong reliance on God, all you can think about is to get to know his word, his Bible, Right. For example, while I was gone, while I was away, Christina and I had we had very little contact with each other. Obviously, we were in different continents, and we could use the the WhatsApp. But when you add in the the distance, the lack of access to the internet, and to the the lack of access to reliable power, right? For most of the trip, I was in a city, but but part of the trip, I I, I was six hours out into a trail, and I'll post a post a picture on. ...on Facebook, but we took a truck down a trail that was this, this wide, right? Six hours, crossing rivers, right? There's, I just couldn't talk with Christina. We, it, there were nights where we just couldn't, we couldn't communicate back and forth. And, and as her husband, what did I want, right? I wanted to hear her voice. I wanted to know what she was thinking. As her husband, as a, as a person in a relationship with, with this woman, when I did not have access to her words... Well, what was the thing that I wanted to think about? Her, her words, what was, she, what was going through her mind? Right? And that is what I felt like when I was working and studying and learning from these, these preachers. Right? They are in a beautiful, and they are in a powerful, and a life-changing relationship. A life-changing adventure with the God of the universe, and all they want is to hear from God, right? No matter where they are on the spectrum of their faith, uh, of, of their ministry, they just want to hear from the word of God. Pastor Kona, who's, who's been preaching for 40-some years and has lived through two civil wars and, and the Ebola outbreak and, and, and has never been paid like, to, to be a preacher like I am blessed with, Right? Right? He just wants to know the word of God. And he's learning all of the different dialects of tribal languages in that part of West Africa so he can communicate the word of God to other tribes, to other people. See, it's just the word of God. They were on the edge of their seat every time that it was brought up. And then once they did have it, And once they were kind of able to understand it, once they did the work uh, of digging into God's word, what followed was a simple and beautiful and powerful obedience to the word of God. There there was no more debating. There was no anger. There was just simple obedience, even if it it caused trouble in their lives. And they had every right to be angry, right? Right? They had every right to be confused. The state of their communities and their country would make us all angry. I've been to many third world countries, but nothing touched Liberia. So they had every right to be angry. But to them, the God of the universe has changed their life, and he has spoken. So they're just going to obey. A simple tenacity in the word of God. One of the, the villages that I was blessed with uh, going out to, and like I said, six hours on this little track and crossing rivers, and it was way out into the, the jungle, and, and the, the guy that I was with, the guy that I know, his name is Moba, he, you know, grew up in this area, grew up in Kakata, the city that we were in, grew up in Monrovia, the capital city, had never even been that far out. He's like, Andrew. You're the first person that was stupid enough to say, I'll go with you. (laughs) So we went out there and and immediately did not bring enough water. And so uh, we bought some coconuts. But we were on our way out there, and we get there. And the first thing that these villagers want to do, the the tribal elders, is is they want to, and again, Mobile, this is what he does for a living, (laughs) is to travel to these villages. It's never even been out this far and uh, he, he, they take us to, um, the first thing they want to do is they, they want to take us to a, a spring. Um, they don't have a well. You know, when, when missions came through Africa and put wells everywhere in Liberia, they were too far out. They don't have a well, but they have this spring, and they said, this is when we knew hundreds of years ago that there was a, someone bigger than ourselves, is how they, they said it. That, that, that there's a God because of this spring, because of this stream that comes straight out of the ground and bubbles up. It's never ran dry, always been there, right? So, so they're like, we got to get to know this God who blesses us with something like this when all the other villages around us, they don't have this, right? So that tenacity to know God It's amazing, and that's that's what I want to do today. I want us to take a look at God's word as we finish this series of sermons and see what it has to say. And then I want us to hold tight. I want us to hold tight to his word with a a tenacious grip that brings about that same simple obedience. Honestly, I I think that is really what this entire series of sermons, the elephant in the room, has been about. Hearing the word of God and just putting it into play, right? Not overcomplicating it, but just putting it into play, right? And like I said, I I thank Christina for holding down the fort while I was away because she clung to this idea too, that 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 all these giant elephant-in-the-room topics, things that seem insurmountable and are, are huge, immovable obstacles to our faith, When we seek after the word of God, what he has to say, who he is, we hold tight to it, and then we simply obey while we can face anything that comes our way. And so today, we will address our last elephant in the room, sex, marriage, and gender roles. Dun, 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 right? right Now, if this is your first time with us, or if you're tuning in for the first time, well, you picked a doozy, all right? So hang in there with me. All right, we're going to go into the Word of God, and we're going to look at this. Right now, I know that we're living in a cultural moment where there's a lot of questions that are being asked around these, these topics, questions about uh, what does it mean to be a man or to be a woman, questions about what healthy and good relationships look like, and, and questions about how how Christians should respond to those questions. And then there's questions about those questions and questions that not only have been asked, um, that have never really been asked on this scale in history in terms of these topics. Questions that for many people uh, end up defining their lives and, and their identity. Right. So before you, you, you look to the exits, I told our hospitality team to lock the doors. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? Or if before you start looking at your phones, like you're getting an important text message or phone call, right? just lean in. For the next 20 minutes, just lean in. Right? But th- there's this thing that's, that's labeled in our society as a, as a cultural war outside of this place. It's an us versus them type of conversation, a, a weaponized conversation. But in here... All right, in this place, in this community of believers, in our local outpost of the kingdom of God, we call ourselves the foundry, right? And we believe in putting in the hard work of hammering metal. That's what happens in a foundry, right? Rawness, toughness, raw steel is shaped with pounding, fire, hard work, right? And that's what we do. That's why we call ourselves the foundry because we're not going to shy away from that because we know on the other end of that, that forge, on the other end of that, uh, that process, there's art. There's creation. And that's what we do with the word of God. That's what we do when we forge our life on God. Right? He, he transforms us. And it's not just for information's sake. All right, Hear me when I say it. it's not for information's sake. It's for transformation. Right, right. and know, you know these these pastors that I uh, my friends like Pastor Colley was on that picture. Right, he can care less about information. He wants transformation. Right, right. And I'll take it back. So I'm going to take it back all the way back to uh, week one of this series, where we were reminded of the greatest commandment. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible. Please use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are free for you to have, to use, to take, to give away, uh, but you're going to want to turn there. Matthew 22 in the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, uh, there's the Old Testament, then Jesus comes, he ushers in a new covenant, a new covenant, and that's uh, kind of detailed in his life and his ministry in the early church uh, in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 22. The first book of the New Testament, 22, verse 37 through 39, all right? And if you have your Bible, or if you're taking one of those Bibles, you're going to want to circle this. You're going to want to highlight it, underline it, because this is uh, our, our commandment, right? The greatest commandment, what we're commanded to do. It says this, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What that means is just everything in the Old Testament can be boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Some translations say strength. Love your neighbor's as yourself, right? In the same way, All right, what drives the work we do here at the Foundry, what is at our core is the love of God and the love of our neighbor. At the core of every conversation, we should be asking these two questions. And if you can remember them, right, with every difficult conversation that we have from here on out, right? as followers of Jesus, we should be asking these two questions that we talked about in week one. How can I best love God in this situation? Right? And then how can I best love my neighbor in this situation? Right? That's the lens that we're called as disciples of Jesus to look at these tough topics through. You see, while these issues can feel very new to us as believers today, they were struggling with the exact same things when the Bible was being written down. And church, our job as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people forging a lifelong reliance on God, has not changed. It has always remained the same. It has always been to love God, to love others. Right, so for the, the Jesus followers in the room, all right, you've, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. He is the Lord of your life, right? For, for those of us in the room today, I, I want to set you up to do those things, to love God and to love others well. So within this elephant in, in the room of marriage and gender roles. Now for the skeptic in the room, for the person that's still figuring this Jesus thing out, all right, which is great, right? Uh, the, the person that has some questions about who Jesus is, what it means to, to make him the Lord of our life, to, to accept his salvation... Alright, and maybe you have questions specifically around this topic. I, I want to first acknowledge how poorly the church, the global church, has at times handled these issues. All right, but but I want to offer a counterversion of what an abundant life is. Alright? Does that make sense to the to the skeptic? First, say, hey, I get it. We messed up this conversation pretty poorly, right, throughout church history. But, but what I want to do to, for you is I want to offer a counter vision, a counter version, however you want to say it, of what an abundant life. Uh, when Jesus says, I have come that, you may have abundant life, life to the full, of what that looks like, what human flourishing could really look like. And for the people in this room who are dealing with things like, like pornography or sex outside of marriage or same-sex attraction or, or gender dysphoria... And the people in this room who love someone who are dealing with these things, I want to come alongside you and help you in the best way that I know how to. And that is by tenaciously diving into the Word of God. All right? All right listen, one of our values at the Foundry is anchoring truth, anchoring ourselves to truth. All right, before I dive headfirst into this, I want to say one more thing. In culture today, in our world today, when we talk about things... Like this, oftentimes, if you disagree with someone, all right, or if they disagree with you, well, they're just dead to you, all right? Dead to me. You're dead to me, all right? All right, and never, never going to talk to you again. So my ask is that even if you disagree, don't be done, all right? Don't be done, all right? As your pastor, please know that I want good for you, and even more so, God wants good for you, all right? And while this is a difficult topic, I care too much about you, and I care too much about truth, and I care too much about the gospel of Jesus, and that just means the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, to not address this elephant in the room. All right? Now, you may disagree with me, you may not like the message, but please know my heart. All right? This entire message comes from a place of my desire for you and those you love to know the power and the healing and the hope that comes From the everlasting arms of Jesus, the God that I forged my life on. So please know that. Please know my heart. And with that, let's let's get into this. Let's start with tenaciously diving into the Word of God. And I think we must begin by going back to the beginning of all things. In fact, it, it was also the beginning of this sermon series, right? The image of God. So turn ahead to the very first book of the Old Testament. Turn back to, not turn ahead to Genesis chapter 1, all right? So much packed into Genesis chapter 1. But verse 26 is where we're going to look at today. So the very first book of the, the Bible, the very first book. Use the table of contents if you need to, all right? I don't want you guys, to, and the reason that I'm so always like, hey, turn to it, turn to it, and we don't put it up on the screen. Because I don't, you, take god's word for it don't take my word for it all right nothing special about what i say let's say god's word all right verses uh 26 through 31 so that's the big chapter one the big one and then you find the little 26 and that's verse 26 it says then god said let us make man in our image he's talking about the triune god god the father god the son and the holy spirit Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Ah, snakes. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. What male and female, he created them. And then verse 28 says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Alright, just, just keep that open there. So in these verses, we get some answers to a few of the elephants in the room that we are dealing with today. First, we we see and we are reminded that humans are created in the image of God, the imago dei, right? If you want to get fancy, right? right? We're created in the image of the God of the universe. But we also see a few other things. We see that God created two distinct types of human beings. If you're using the the English Standard Version, the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, all right, those are um, translated as, as uh, word for word, as closely to the original as possible. All right? And so they don't make a, a mistake when they translate it male and female. All right? Human beings with, with uh, uh, you know, two different types. All right? Human beings with... Uh, male and female parts. Male and females are, are distinct and separate, but both powerful reflections of the image of God. Both powerful reflections of the image of God by design. Uh, an author, if you want to dig deeper into this, is Preston Sprinkle, a theologian, and a really smart guy on these topics. And he said it like this. He said, God could have created a sexless humankind to reflect his image, but he chose to create human beings as sexed beings, male a female and male, right? He did it on purpose. He created us distinctly on purpose. And then uh, he put us opposites together on purpose. And when that happened, it was good, it says, in God's eyes. And now I'm going to get a little heady here. So track with me, right? In the Hebrew, that word for good is tall, right? Meaning it's, it's healthy. Right? It works is how it's, how it's translated. It, it's healthy. It works. Right? The, the two distinct genders are good. They work. It's healthy. It works. It's that what it's being translated. They do what they were made to do, right? in part, which is to f- be fruitful and multiply, to procreate and to populate the earth. So here, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we see that male and females were created not as a social construct over time, but rather by a God to display something about God, all right? So if we jump ahead to, to Genesis chapter 2, we'll start to see what they are to display, all right? Chapter 2, the big two, the little 18, verse 18, is what, what they were created to display, says then the Lord said to them it is not good that man should be alone i will make for him a helper fit for him now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all the livestock to all the birds of the heavens to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So verse 21 says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right. Now I, I want to make sure that you saw that word "helper" or your translation. It might say "helpmate" in verse 18. Now, some of your ladies, you're, you're looking at me and you're thinking, "Oh no, here it is—the talk from a man about how a woman, how women are supposed to serve their husbands." All right, and, you, and you're rolling your eyes. I hear you. Right, but that's not what what this is. Right? That's not what this is. Right? The word helper here in the original in the original word is this word. Right? Again, I know this is heady, but this gives us great context. But it's called this word is pronounced uh, Azar Conegdo. Alright? Now, now the word here does not mean less than. It's not translated that. Right? It's not a less than aid to the all-powerful husband. Right. No. Remember. Right. No matter how hard I want it to be. No, I'm just <laughs> right. No. That's not, not what it's being translated. Right. And remember what, what what our our verse said. The man was created first. Yes. He's preeminent. But, but in his preeminence, he is. What does it say? Incomplete. Right. So God sends a helpmate, and that word is the same word that is used over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, describe the relationship that our God has with his people, the Israelites. It's the same word, right? God sends someone to aid and to work with the man, right? And the original definition would say God sends one who is the same as the other, but they they surround, they protect, and they support in another fashion, right? Most of the times... Uh, that this word is used in the Old Testament, it is used to describe how God aids his people in battle, in war. So God created females not to be a helpless maid who takes her orders from a man. He created her to be a warrior who stands alongside her male counterpart and fights with them. Right. Then if we dig another layer of that onion, who protects, Right. who, who surrounds them, with love and support in order to accomplish a mission, a task, right? Right. So in marriage, the male and the female are put together, and they are equal, but they serve distinct purposes, both reflecting different aspects of the image of God, the triune God, right? That is why marriage is between a man and a woman. All right, and I want to look... Uh, One other word in this passage. I I know it's heady, but it's really fascinating, so hang in there with me. In, In verse 22, we see a familiar passage about how women are created, and it's from a man's rib. And one of Christina and I's, our inside jokes comes from this passage. Earlier in our marriage, I was asking her to do something. I don't even remember what it was. But she said to me, I don't think I can do it. I'm not strong enough. And I told her, like the kind and understanding and respectful husband that I am. I said, I said, Christina, man up. All right. And I said, and she said, I'm I'm not a man, I'm a girl. Right? Just come over here and do this. And again, like the sweet guy that I am, I said, Well, God made woman from a man's rib, so rib it up, Christina. (laughs) Rib it up. Now, well, we still tease each other. About this, when we're working on something hard, I'll tell her to rib it up, or she'll say, I'm gonna go, I gotta rib this up, right? Just some marriage advice for you guys, <laughs> all right? But here's the thing about that word rib, right? Something that, that just blows our mind when we dig into this. Yeah, right? The, the, the most, most scholars believe that the, the word used here for rib, all right? the word uh, uh, Selah, uh, probably doesn't actually mean. Rib, it does, but, it, but it, it means a little bit more than that, right? So why do they believe that? Why are they saying this? Because literally every other time that, that this word selah is used, it's in the Old Testament. It means something different. Every other time it is used in the Bible, it is a reference to sacred architecture. It is used to describe beams, all right, like a Rib. Right Beams that are used to craft and hold together god's temple All right like these things All right, right? So, so here's what this passage is is conveying that eve's body is literally pulled from the sacred architecture that makes up adam's body right and now eve's body is built up using the same beams and columns, and when you put together them together, male and female, they are the literal sacred building blocks of all mankind. <laughs> right? Onions here, right? Peel on the layers here. Men and women have long been the one, as uh, preachers put it in a wedding, the sacred beam of which all society rests. Right? If you've ever been to a, uh, more of a traditional, old-fashioned wedding, the preacher always says that. Right? The right? man and woman, this couple here today are are the, the sacred beam of which all society rests, and that's what this comes from. This is why when broken homes occur, broken societies tend to follow. So in just these two chapters, in just a few verses of these two chapters of the Bible, we can clearly see a big picture of what sex and marriage and gender roles are supposed to look like from a 30,000-foot view. Marriage was designed by God to be between one man and one woman, and contained within the marriage, each person plays a distinct role in the building of a sacred institution that builds up all of human society, all right, now this is something that that uh, this is not something that we hear a lot today, and I know for many it 's a painful truth of the Bible. It just is, but if we are to be people who tenaciously dive into the Bible, we must do so with no shame and anchor ourselves to it no matter what it says, and we don't need to just uh, to stick to these verses, right, there are so many more to look at, right, to, to, to dig into, as, as scripture goes on, we see over and over again that, that God has created for marriage what he's created for marriage and sex and gender uh, that will help us flourish as his creation. In the New Testament, Paul calls us to let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So, so we see here that, that marriage between a man and a woman is the only place for sex, Right? That's what Paul's talking about. Any type of sex that is outside of that, that means masturbation, that means having a one-night stand, that means affairs are not what God intended, they're missing the mark, they're a sin. Right? And luckily, we have grace, right? We've all sinned, we've all missed the mark. And Paul says this, right, in 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification, meaning more, becoming more and more like God, more and more like christ that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know god do right he, he explains that it is the will of god the god that we say we forge our life on that we abstain from sexual immorality it is the will of God that if we cannot meet the standard of, of one man and one woman in the marriage covenant, then we would abstain from sex, that we would control ourselves and not give in until the time of that marriage covenant. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulteresses, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor junked, junkards, nor, nor rivalers, I don't really know what a rivaler is, <laughs> nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a long list, all right? And we could do a whole series of sermons on those things, but I'm pretty sure included within that list is at least one thing that we're all guilty of. Thank God for grace, all right? Thank God for his strength, right? Because I can give in to all of those fairly simply, right? But it says that the sexually immoral, those who do not follow God's design for marriage and sex and adulterers and homosexuals, they're missing the mark. They're, they're not living within the, uh, of the abundant life of what, what they were created to live in the way that they can live their best life. Now listen, it's, we say it's not the easiest of life, but it's the best, Right? It may not be what we want or think we want, but it's what we're created for. They're they're not living in what God designed. And before you say, well, Paul said those things. Jesus didn't say those things. You hear that a lot. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6 says this. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He didn't use the word for people there. Used the masculine and the, the feminine. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. So, so Jesus, he says that this is what marriage should look like. It should be a man and a woman coming together and being one. Right? And the, the in-laws shouldn't be involved, thank goodness, right? If you dig into it, uh, you'll get there. And there are scriptures that tell us that uh, what men and women should do in marriage. And they are distinct and they are different things because men and women are distinct and they have different reflections of the image uh, of God. Men should protect and provide and preside, and right, over, over their families. That doesn't mean that they have to have more money than their wives. We can all think of someone right now in our lives that have made a lot of money, but they don't protect or preside or provide uh, for their family's needs, especially spiritual, right? Women, women are—I I like to best describe their 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 job title—they're the—they're the the not thermometers, they're thermostats, right? You've heard Christina talk about that before, right? They they set the temperature of a household, right? And that comes from Scripture, right? We can all think as people in our lives, uh, the. That, that are kind of missing this mark, ourselves included, right? This means that, that, that um, for example, that men must provide leadership for their families and point them to God and his wisdom at all times. And the Bible says that men should love their wives as Christ loves the church. Right? That's part of our job description. That means we have to be willing to die for our spouse. Men are called to sacrifice first, to die to themselves first, to be a leader at being last, to use their strength and their power to serve, and the Bible says that men who do not do this, well, that is worse than being completely separated from God. That's worse than hell, because that's what hell is—the separation from God. And then in other places, the Bible explains what women are supposed to do within marriage. right? that—that that thermostat, they are to display a gentle strength. They are to nurture, build up, right? To 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 forge. Right? To do that hard work, to be clear, God never says that, that if, if you do not have children, then you've not fulfilled your calling as a woman, right? But it, but it, is, but it does say you have to nurture life, right? That means to, to bring about growth, to love people into uh, the abundant life, into life to the full, into a life with Jesus. You're, you're setting a thermostat in people's life, pointing them and raising the temperature uh, of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, Right, so the the Bible paints a clear picture of what sex and marriage and gender roles are supposed to look like, and we can dig into thousands of these scriptures. But that still doesn't tell us what we, right here in this moment, are supposed to do. Does it? Right. I know that was a lot of heady stuff there. Right. In in a world where where these standards are just not the norm, and in a world where the where the people we love do not always agree with these statements with these scriptures and if we're honest sometimes we may not agree with them but we made a commitment to have jesus as our lord what are we supposed to do because it's tough well i think there there are two responses the first one is to simply obey Simply obey, right? First, we need to make sure that, that as people of the Word, that people who, who, who follow Jesus, right? who want to live this abundant life, not the easiest life, but the life that we're created to live, that we do our very best to obey the Word of God. That means that we are people who do not have sex outside of marriage. That means that, uh, that we are people who take the marriage covenant serious, and we do all that we can do to not get divorced. Now, there are biblical reasons for divorce, Right? But just because you're bored isn't one of those things. Right? This means that when we have children, we do our best to teach our children that these, the, the truth of God and the grace of God and the love of God and a commitment to his word, even if it is a hard pill to swallow. This means that when we are struggling with not obeying these things, we raise our hands and we say, God, help me, and we get help. If we're, we're struggling with pornography and, and lust, and, and we seek out an accountability partner, we seek out a good Christian therapist who can walk with us through this addiction, and we put and place safeguards on our computer and our phones with other brothers or sisters in Christ or with, with Christian counselors. That's why we have Christian counselors who have offices here in this very building. Right? If we're struggling with an affair, we confess and we work our butts off and we fight for our marriage. If we're struggling with same-sex attraction or homosexuality, we talk to someone. And I cannot begin to understand this ask. But we remain celibate in the name of God's kingdom and Jesus' love and sacrifice. There's great resources out there on the bookshelf on that topic. Right? I mean, I get that it's hard Right, If we are struggling with, with gender dysphoria, we seek out the help of an amazing Christian counselor and we dive into the truth of what God has called us to be as distinct and powerful genders reflecting His image. And church, I, I know this is all easier said than done. I know that for some there is nothing simple in this type of obeying. Right? I, I'm not naive for 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 that that for some of this uh, to in order to obey there's gonna be pain and, and heart wrenching and gut work punching work and sacrifice. I know that. I, I see what God is calling us to and I I see that fear and that pain in some of our eyes and in some of the conversations I've had with us with with each other. But God did not call us to do it alone. That's why we're we we step up to the table and we help each other. And that's one of the second things that we we do, right? That that we learn from scripture. We lean into scripture and we introduce our neighbors to Jesus. And I know I know of course the pastor would say that Jesus is the answer, but listen, I would not stand up here and ask all of these incredibly difficult things of you when it comes to 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 lust and to sex and to giving into those those desires or or same-sex attraction and those feelings and um, uh, you know the the marriage covenant being a constr, uh, you know, constricting and and not open or whatever, right? Whatever we're dealing with, I would not stand up here and ask all of these incredibly difficult things of you if I did not believe that there was a way to achieve them. And I know without a shadow of doubt, Foundry Church, that the only way to simply obey these commands is with the power of Jesus. All right? Look at what it says in Second Corinthians chapter five. Let me. Let me turn there real quick here. Second Corinthians is in the New Testament, one of these letters of Paul. Verses sixteen through seventeen. Sirs, for now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. All right? We, we regard no one. According to the flesh, even though we were even though we were once regarded uh, we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's our King, he's our Lord, he's our Savior. We've accepted it. He is a new creation. We're a new creation. If we are made him the Lord of our life, we accepted his salvation. The old has passed away. Behold, behold, the new has come. With Jesus in Christ, we are, Foundry Church, a new creation with a new identity. We do not have to define ourselves by the things of the flesh, is what it's saying. We are introduced to Christ when we're introduced to Christ, to the king that he is of our lives. And when he becomes our savior and our friend and our Lord, we get a new identity. We don't have to define ourselves as heterosexual. We don't have to define ourselves as someone with with um, same-sex attraction. We don't have to define ourselves with someone with, with, um, with lust of the opposite gender. We don't have to define ourselves in any way other than we're a follower of the king. He's given us a new identity. Right? In Christ, we are a child of God. Those other things, they don't matter anymore. They fall away. <laughs> they aren't as important when Christ is introduced into the equation, we can simply obey and hear me. Right? The things he has called us to obey, look, they don't become easier. They just become worth it. Right? I know we, we forget to talk about that a lot in church. With any of these elephant in the room things, right? hey, just do it. It's, it's right here, just do it. Yes, but it's still hard. But listen, it it becomes worth it. It becomes worth it, right? When we are in Christ, when we are fully known, when we are held in the arms of the Savior, embraced by the Son of God, then everything else fades away, and all that remains is his love for us. And it becomes worth every sacrifice that we have in this world that we have to make in order to obey him, in order to be uh, uh, growing in, in his likeness. As, as the the band comes up, I want to end with this. A while back, I, I was getting lost in the rabbit hole of my Instagram for you page. And for some reason, the algorithm that day kept showing me these videos of little kids hearing uh, for the first time. You've probably seen some of these videos. It was just video after video after video uh, of kids who were born deaf receiving cochlear Uh, implants and having them turned on for the very first time and there was this cool thing that I noticed as I was watching all of these videos and you know what I'm talking about you get lost in that like scroll and that that rabbit hole so it was video after video of these kids and I noticed that they were as they were adjusting the implants uh, the the audio text the the nurses would tell the parents to start talking and they would be able to tell when the implants started working Right? And over and over again, the parents said two things in every video. In every single one of these videos in my Instagram scroll there, it did not matter who the child was. It didn't matter what the child looked like. It didn't matter where they were from, from here in America or from Liberia. Over and over and over again, the parents always said two things. They said the child's name, and then they said, I love you. Over and over and over again. The very first two things the parents wanted their kids to hear was who they were and that they were loved. So over and over again, Andrew, I love you. Christina, I love you. Right, Annie, I love you. Asher, right, I, I love you. Rachel, I love you. Michael, I love you. Over and over again, their name followed by I love you. And it got me thinking about God. and not to over-spiritualize everything or or to Jesus juke anyone. It got me thinking about the God that we forge our life on. In a world where there's so much chaos, when there's so many things, when the world says so many different things that are counter to what we read here, what we, we know to be true, it got me thinking about the God that we forge our life on and what He would want to say to our neighbors, to the people that are around us in relationships with us in our families, if, if they could hear Him. What He would want to say to the people in our lives who are going through some of these painful things or hearing these difficult asks from Scripture. And they're just like, that's just that's too much. I don't agree. It's too hard. Or, or, right? or, or they're trying to figure out their identity, right? If God could speak to our neighbor, He would want them, uh, He would announce who they are and that He loves them. Right? He, He would want them to hear for the very first time who they really are, who they were created by Him to be, and not how the world has defined them, not how they think they should define themselves, not the identity that they've given themselves, not the pain. The questions, the doubt, the worry that they hold inside, but what he says, who they are, what their name really is, and that is a child of God. And boy, oh boy, he would want them to know how much he loves them. How do we deal with the elephant in the room? We simply obey. We simply obey. And we speak into the hearts of those who do not know Jesus and what He would want them to hear. He would want them to know that they are a child of His and that He loves them. He understands where they are. He understands the questions. He understands the hurts, the worries concerns, even the things that we're dealing with. He understands. Everything. He says, you're a child of mine and I love you. Let me show you a life that is free from those. A life that is covered by new birth because of my sacrifice. that's our call for followers of Jesus to continue to share that love to pursue that abundant life to simply obey even though it's hard. let's stand and let's worship our God who loves us so much who knows what we're going through